Good morning and welcome to worship on this Valentine's Day as we worship the source of love itself. My name is Tom. I'm the pastor here. And um, we are just so grateful for all of you who braved the cold, first of all. And second, we're grateful for those of you who are smart and stayed home in the warm, right? Um, that doesn't matter. We're just grateful that you're here, no matter how you're coming and joining us in worship together. If it's your first time worshiping with us, I want to especially welcome you. There's a Connect card link on the screen and in the description. And if you fill that out, let us know that you're here. It's our way of being able to thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Um, we'd also love to know if we could pray for you, if there's a need that we could meet uh, on, on your behalf. We'd love to be able to do that, so let us know through that card. Um, if you'd like to give an offering as an act of worship, you can do that here in person in the offering box as you enter and exit the sanctuary or on the screen there by texting or going to the link. And the only announcement that I want to share with you this week is that this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. It's the beginning of the season of Lent, Wednesday, February 17th. Our worship will be at 6 o'clock here in person. It'll also be online. And um, if you would prefer, you can't make it for scheduling or whatever it might be, we will have a drive-through imposition of ashes. And so I would love to be able to see you in some way, shape, or form this Wednesday as we come together to worship. Uh, but for right now, as we've gathered to worship, let's open up God's Word. Our reading for today is in Acts chapter 9. And uh, if you brought your Bible, I want to encourage you to open it up in front of you. If you're at home, go find your Bible and bring it out, open it up, and let's join together. We're going to be reading from verses 1 through 19. And we're going to walk through it verse by verse as we go through the reading today together. Uh, today's concluding a series, if you're joining us for the first time we've called hitting a wall and to give you just a very 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 short recap it's been an entire series about God's work in the moments of our lives when we come up against walls big walls like divorce or death or global unrest little walls like petty arguments traffic jams slow internet when your football team doesn't go to the Super Bowl uh, whatever it might be walls that we bring on ourselves walls that appear out of nowhere walls that that truly really aren't unique to those of us who call Jesus Lord life is full of moments walls that stop us in our tracks. And as we've learned up to this point, God is doing something unique in our walls. He doesn't want to waste the walls in our lives, no matter how tall or short or big or small they might be. And so on this final Sunday of this series, we're going to learn a lesson from our reading today that I think you'll see throughout it. And it's this, that God uses walls to save us from ourselves. God uses walls to save us from ourselves. And this comes from our reading in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a continuation of Luke's gospel. Uh, the gospel being the good news of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And Acts gives a historical account of what happened after that. The first generation of the church and what they did to follow him. And specifically we're going to look at one of the most high level Jewish leaders who followed Jesus. Uh, you may know him by the name of Paul. He wrote a large percentage of the New Testament. And at this point, his name is Saul. And he is zealous for what he believes. 
But in Acts chapter 9, he doesn't believe in Jesus. He's actually believing the exact opposite. And that brings us to the beginning of our reading this morning. Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners in Jerusalem. Now, to say the least, Saul hated the church. He hated people who followed Jesus. He taunted them. He arrested them. He threatened their very lives. But I want you to notice something in Acts chapter 9. The church is not called the church. It's called the way. If you have your Bible open, you see that. It's called the way. And the reason is because this is the way in which the early followers of Jesus called themselves. It was a term that Jesus himself coined in John chapter 14 when he said, I am, say it with me, the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Saul was out killing people who believed this. And this highlights something interesting, I think. It's that Saul and others found what was so offensive to them about these early Christians was, was not what they believed. It was how what they believed transformed the way in which they lived their life. It was their way of life that was offensive to Saul. And so Saul wanted to take anybody who was living this way and take them to Jerusalem. And the reason why is because in Jerusalem, the Jewish religious leaders had the authority to do to them what they had done to Jesus, which was to prosecute them and to put them to death. And Saul is all about this work. Verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey to go and arrest Christians, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. You have to almost laugh at this point, because I don't know, I just find it fascinating that Saul has made it his life mission to be obsessed with going out and seeking and taunting and killing people who follow Jesus. And then Jesus literally shows up in front of him in a flash of light and he doesn't recognize who he is. Like, he is obsessed by his, over his followers, but he does not recognize Jesus himself. And it reminds me of a story, um, and I've probably shared this before, but it's been quite a while, and it's Valentine's Day, and it's about Alyssa and I when we first started dating. So I, I asked Alyssa if it was okay if I could share this, and she said it was. But it was only, it was maybe a, maybe a month, I think, we had only been dating. And I started work as a camp counselor. I was a freshman in college. And I worked at Lutherdale Bible Camp, which is right outside Elkhorn here. And Alyssa had worked there the previous summer, uh, but she didn't work there the summer that I was working there. And the previous summer, she had a boyfriend that wasn't me. I'm going to skip the rest of that. We're going to keep going. All right. Now, if you've never worked at a summer camp before, i got to explain a few things um, about the social dynamics of summer camp. You only spend maybe 8 to 12 weeks together, but you spend every hour of every day of every week together for that 8 to 12 weeks. And so it feels like 
a lifetime. And it also means that when you come back the next year, it feels like no time has passed since the previous summer. If you're close to maybe, maybe you have cousins that live halfway around the country and you're close to them. So you come back for Christmas and it's like nothing has passed. This is what it's like. And so here's what happened. Alyssa had this boyfriend, but she broke up with him after the summer, and it was months before her and I started to hang out, but as all the old camp counselors got together that first week of training, and they shared all the gossip and everybody's lives, and because Alyssa wasn't there to set the record straight, they had this terrible story starting to circulate that this horrible guy by the name of Tom <laughs> stole Alyssa from her boyfriend, which I didn't really mind a whole lot, right? Like, yeah, I did, yeah. No, no, I'm just kidding. So, so here's, what, here's where it gets better, though. Um, I arrived at staff training, and the staff training I was a couple days late for. And so by this point that I showed up, everybody was already talking about this story, and nobody knew that I was the Tom that they were talking about. And so I sat down, I kid you not, I'm still friends with this person that I'm about to tell you about. I sat down at the last table, the first staff dinner that I was at. Uh, there was one seat left at one table, and I sat down, and right across from me was a female counselor, and she was in the passion of telling this juicy story about this guy, Tom, who stole their friend, Alyssa, from her boyfriend. And so I sat down, and I was very quiet, and I listened to the story. I even interjected a few of my own questions. Like, really? He said that? He did that? Like, it was terrible. This guy's horrible. And when the story was over, I reached out and I said, hi, I'm Tom, Melissa's boyfriend. <laughs> and her jaw dropped. Now, we're friends today. We've, we've, gotten, we've gotten over all of it, but... But she thought she knew everything about me, even though she had no idea when I was literally sitting right across from her. It's like Saul. Saul was persecuting Christians. He was persecuting these people that were offending him by all these things that he thought he knew about them, the way in which they were living their very life. And if you read the rest of the book of Acts, you'll read what those offending actions were. They shared everything with each other. If somebody had a need, they met that need for somebody else. They prayed together, they ate together, they served people who were not like them, people that were of different faiths and different politics and different social circumstances, different income levels, different skin colors. And in living this life, other people were noticing. And there were two groups of the kinds of people that were noticing. There was the people that were offended like Saul. And then there was this growing group of people that watched the way in which they were living their life and said, I want to be a part of that way too. See, that way was hope in a world that looked so hopeless and corrupt. They were following a different set of rules. And Saul knew all of this about Jesus' followers. And yet, he still couldn't recognize Jesus himself when he came and knocked him down with light from heaven itself. And friends, I think this is actually a serious warning for you and me to heed. It's that knowing about Jesus doesn't mean you know Jesus. 
And we can know there's lots of people that know about Jesus. As, as Americans, everybody knows about Jesus. And the truth is, you can know a lot of things about Jesus. You can know where his followers hang out at 10.30 in the morning on Sundays. You can know what songs they sing. You can know the book that they read. And it doesn't mean you know Jesus any more than this counselor knew me, even though she thought she knew everything about me. If you really want to know Jesus, the only way to know Jesus is to follow the way, to follow him yourself. And there's a problem, though. If you're too preoccupied in your own way, in your own story, like Saul was, then the way has a way of getting in our way. The way has a way of getting in our way. And Jesus had just gotten in the way of Saul. And so let's watch. Jesus continues, verse 6. He says to Saul, now get up and continue. Go to the city, go to Damascus, and you will be told what you must do. Verse 7, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, for they heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And so they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now, can you imagine? He's a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. And he's definitely a type A challenging kind of personality. And now his servants have to lead him by the hand because he's blind. Like, how humiliating. And you got to wonder, right? Because Jesus did this to him. Why would Jesus make Saul blind? Why would he make Saul blind and hungry and thirsty for three days? And here's my theory. Because that's what it would take to get him to a place where he would quiet his own mind to be able to listen to the voice of God. Remember what we learned at the beginning. God uses our walls to save us from ourselves. And so instead of Jesus' way, Saul had been living his own way his entire life. And you got to understand, like, this was his way of life. He actually gives us a description after this conversion of what his life looked like before Jesus. All of his accomplishments in Philippians chapter 3, he says this, If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, to put confidence in themselves, he says, I have more. A little arrogant sounds almost. But the thing is, it's all true. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm an American of Americans, right? Like, this is pride here in regard to the law. I wasn't just following the law, but I was teaching the law. A Pharisee, as for zeal, I was so for the Jews that I was persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Saul was perfect in almost every way. And his lifestyle and everything he did to earn that life permeated everything about him. He achieved everything for himself and he was always tirelessly working again and again and again toward that perfection in his job, in his education, in his politics, in his calling, where he grew up, his very identity and worth was wrapped up in all of those things on that list. And was he successful? Yes. Absolutely. You can't argue that he wasn't successful. But does this sound like a guy who's happy? 
Does he sound happy to you? Does he sound like a guy who's found inner peace? Does he sound like he's fulfilled when everything that that he's been earning his entire life and striving for over and over again and has built up is now being threatened by these people who call themselves the way because they follow Jesus. See, what I think was probably the most offending and threatening thing to the Apostle Paul, to Saul here, about these people who followed Jesus was that Saul had been working his entire life to earn a life for himself And then Jesus came and offered something better, and he offered it to everyone for free. And if you've been working your whole life for something, that would offend you too. And so that's where he is, desperately trying to hold on to what he's earned. And what it's left him with here is we're on the road to Damascus with Saul is high blood pressure storming down the path, breathing murderous threats as he goes, and that's no way to live. And you know that, because haven't you ever harbored anger against somebody? Don't you know what that feels like? I, I, I shared this a few years ago. We hired a, a contractor to fix something for us, and, and we had to pay him $600 in order to um, purchase supplies. And so seemed like a reputable guy. There was some good reviews online. I talked to him on the phone several times. So sent him $600, and then he didn't show up. And he rescheduled, and he rescheduled, and he had all these different excuses. But eventually, he stopped responding to my calls and my texts, and he was gone, and so was our $600. And so, you know, as a good and peaceful pastor and Christian that I am, you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to sue him. I wanted to find him, and I wanted my $600 back. And so I called him often and texted him. And I wasn't, like, harassing him or anything, but I I reminded him that he owed me $600, and I was really mad because he never showed up. And then I was standing here on a Saturday, and I was practicing a sermon that I had prepared about forgiveness, and God grabbed hold of my heart and showed me how that anger was affecting me. And so I sat in that pew and I text messaged this guy and I said, you know what? I want you to keep the $600. It's a gift. I want you to have it. And it's not because I wasn't owed the $600, but it's because I was just overwhelmed by the reality that there is so much, and I told him this in my message, so many things that I have been forgiven for by God. And so I want to do that for you too. That's what I told him. See, Jesus' way becomes your way. And in that moment, Jesus' way became my way. And I'm not saying that if you get, if you get taken advantage of, that there isn't an opportunity and a, and a purpose and a time and place to go and, and make that right. But in this particular season and in this moment, I knew that this was more about me being faithful to God and living the life that he had given me than it was about getting my money back. Saul was miserable. Saul was miserable. And so Jesus is going after him to save him from himself. And if Saul is going to be Paul, and if Saul is going to follow the way, and if he is going to find the hope that he can only find in Jesus, he's going to have to turn from his own way first. And if you've been that angry, 
for that long and you've invested that much in yourself, you would need three days of blindness and hunger and thirst and fear to quiet you down enough to hear the voice of God as well. And so Jesus allows Saul to be blinded to save Saul from himself. And friends, this, this is one of the gifts that you and I receive when we come up against the wall too. See, I don't know that any of you have ever had an experience like Saul had where, where God literally comes, where Jesus comes to you in a flash of light. If you have, come talk to me. You're preaching next Sunday. You're gonna share your story. I don't know that any of you have had that kind of an experience, but we have all had moments like Saul where we've been stopped in our tracks, down on the ground, we're alone with our thoughts. Maybe it's a hospital bed, you don't know where it's leading. Maybe it's empty-handed because you've hit rock bottom and you're in guilt and shame over some kind of sin that you've committed. Or maybe you're just upset because some guy said he was gonna come fix something for you and you gave him your money and he didn't finish the work and now you're mad. Whatever it is, these are walls. These are moments at the wall, and they force us to slow down. And the grace of God in those moments is that it's Jesus who's slowing us down and willing to meet us there and stop us from going further to save us from ourselves. See, Saul's wall may have made him blind, but if he chooses to follow Jesus, what you're about to see is that he is going to see clearer than he has ever seen before. Look at verse 10 of Acts chapter 9. Once they get to Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called Ananias in a vision. Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. Now, you got to know what the name Ananias means. It comes from a Hebrew name, which means the Lord is gracious. And you're about to see that play out through Ananias. Verse 11, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias is saying, Lord, I'm not crazy. You want me to actually go find this guy who wants to come and find me and take me away? But the Lord, verse 15, said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to the kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. See, God wants to save you from yourself, but he doesn't want to save you from yourself for yourself. God wants to save you from yourself for him and so that he can then use you for someone else. What we learn through Ananias is that sometimes God calls us be grace at someone else's wall. God calls us to be grace at someone else's wall. That was the influence that God spoke in my heart on that Saturday when I text messaged that guy, that contractor. I realized that if he had taken advantage of me, he's taking advantage of a lot of other people like me, and that's how he's living his life. And if that's true, which it probably is, then man, that's a big wall. <laughs> that's a big wall. And maybe God put me in his life to share some grace. How much more significant is that true 
for Ananias, whose name literally means the Lord is gracious. And that doesn't mean he's not afraid. And it doesn't mean he doesn't bring his fears before the Lord. Because just like Saul had heard a lot about the followers of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, like Ananias, had heard a ton about Saul. But unlike Saul, Ananias is following the way. And the way tells him that he can step into his fears. And he can be faithful. And that God carries us through our walls. And so even though he's afraid, he does what the Lord says to do. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Ananias went to the house and he entered it. you got to believe he's shaken. And it says, he placed his hands on Saul. And he said, brother Saul... The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again and he got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. It took three days of blindness and hunger and fear for Saul to come to terms with the fact that he had to let himself go. That he had to let go of what it was that he was holding on to. And in that moment of beautiful faithfulness, this convergence of the miracle of the presence of the Holy Spirit as it comes through this simple and faithful man of God, Ananias, doing for Saul what all of you have the power to do, which is laying hands on him and praying. And the scales fell off of his eyes, both physically and spiritually. And this is why, after he talks about all of the things he's accomplished in Philippians chapter 3, immediately after he says this, Philippians 3, 7, he says, Whatever were gains to me now, I consider loss for the sake of Jesus. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord, who is for his sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. It's a righteousness that God wants for you and for me as well, a righteousness that he is willing to give us freely. And it is often given when we are finding ourselves up against a wall that God wants to use to save us from ourselves if we would just follow his way and his truth and his life. And friends, that's what the life of faith is all about. It's not about avoiding walls. If, if this is the first Sunday that you're joining us for this series, I'll save you a trip back through the first five sermons. Not a single one is titled, How to Avoid Walls. You know why? I wanted to give that sermon, but I couldn't find any material in the Bible to support it. The truth is, we all face walls. But the greater truth is that God can take those walls And just like he did for Saul, he can use those walls to drop the scales from our eyes. And so that's why we've searched 
That's why we've looked at all these different examples, and that's why we are going to continue this emphasis as we enter into a new season in the church this Wednesday, the season of Lent. Now today in the church, uh, in the church calendar, we, we recognize that it's a day where many Christians are celebrating what we call Transfiguration Sunday. If you don't know the story, it's when Jesus took three of the disciples up on a mountain and they saw the glory of God. They saw Jesus glorified. They saw Moses and Elijah and they wanted to stay. It was beautiful and it was wonderful, but Jesus said, no, they had to go down from the mountain. And the reason why was because Jesus hadn't yet done what he came to do, which was to die on the cross so that three days later they might be glorified with him. And as much as they wanted to stay up on the mountain, they needed to follow him there too, just like we do. And so Christians for generations have set aside a season in our calendar called Lent. It's an opportunity for us to walk with the disciples and Jesus to the cross and to Easter. It's, it's an opportunity really for us to build a wall, so to speak, in our lives that we might slow down for a season and listen to God and grow and change and live in the way that he's called us to live. And I shared this before Christmas. The season before Christmas is called Advent. It's preparation. It's anticipation for the coming of Jesus on Christmas. And I said at that time, after everything we've been through over this last year, I can't think of a better season to be able to, to, to celebrate and to walk through in the church than preparing for the coming of Jesus. But the truth is, I also can't think of a better season for us to be a part of right now than the season of Lent. And so we're going to begin this season this Wednesday, as I said before. And when you come to church, and I, and I know it's a, it's a tall order. It's a hard ask. I know that we're busy, and some of you don't live near here. And so it's a big deal to ask you to set apart another hour for another day to come and worship. But I want to encourage you to do it. Even if you're just going to drive through, even if you're joining us online, in person, it doesn't matter. Set apart the time. And what we do, and we do the same thing every year, is we are reminded that we are dust. And to dust we shall return. And then what we do is we write out our sins. And I want to encourage you to start doing that practice now. I want to encourage you to start thinking about the things that you want to see forgiven now. They're forgiven on the cross. And what we're going to do is we're going to burn them on this altar, like we always do, under the shadow of the cross, to be reminded that this dust becomes holy dust in the gospel of Jesus. But this has been a hard year. And hard years lead us to make mistakes. They lead us to fall away. They, they lead us to be angry with people. They lead us to severed relationships, broken promises, times where we relapse into addictions and sins that maybe before all this we were able to kick. And so I want you to think about this now, starting today, and bring those before God as we come together and worship on Wednesday. We remember that that dust is not simply dust because of the forgiveness of grace of Jesus. We celebrate on Easter that he rises us from that dust as forgiven, redeemed, and pure as snow. There's also 40 days before we get to Easter. 
40 days plus Sundays, and those 40 days are intended for us to slow down and hear God's voice the way Saul slowed down when he was blinded and hear God's voice as well, that we might receive the grace that Saul received through Ananias. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start a new series. It's called Back to the Basics. And in your email, and if you come on Wednesday, there'll be physical copies as well. There's going to be some very simple rituals that you can follow. Traditions, things that we find throughout God's word that draw us closer to God together. Like, for example, one week, we're all going to fast. We're going to set apart a day where we're going to wake up in the morning. And if you're able to physically do this, we're not going to do anything but drink water, maybe a cup of coffee, whatever, until dinner. We're going to fast. And we're going to learn how that draws us closer to God. One week, we're going to be challenged to spend time in silence, one hour, to schedule it on our calendars and to find time apart, away with God, to be able to listen to his voice. All of these traditions are things that you've probably done before. Things that maybe some of you are very familiar with, but what I have found for myself, and this might be true for you as well, is over this last year, where I have fallen away from God is not in the things that I don't know. It's been in the things that I do know, but I have failed to do. And so we're going to recommit ourselves to the basics, and that's going to begin on Ash Wednesday. And so I really want to encourage and challenge you to join us for that. And as we prepare and allow the Spirit of God to prepare us for that, can we start with a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the walls that you allow in our lives that your Holy Spirit uses to save us from ourselves. We acknowledge your grace in the midst of our challenges and struggles and we thank you that your word is full of example after example after example of people who are broken, who have found their healing and hope in you. And so God, we seek to continue that long line and legacy of people who call themselves part of the way as they follow your way. And I pray that you begin that good work in us right now that you might bring to the surface of our minds and our hearts the things that we need to bring before you, God, this Wednesday. The mistakes that we've made, the sins that that we can't shake our guilt from, the things that we've done and also the things that we've failed to do. We are unified as a church in that we are all guilty of this. We all have a list to bring before you. We have not been as good at following you as Paul was as good at following the Jewish rituals and the laws. And even for those of us who who have been, maybe our sin is pride, thinking that somehow we can achieve for ourselves what can only be given to us freely from you. And so, God, would you prepare our hearts to receive what only you can give? Help us to receive it throughout this season of Lent. And, God, don't let us leave this worship right now without receiving it again and again and again, even now. Because the truth is, this is... This is a ritual that man has made to draw us to what you've already done on the cross. It is finished. 
We are forgiven and redeemed. We are like Saul. Our eyes can be opened right now if we would just come before you and surrender ourselves. And so as we open our eyes, we remember the way in which you invite us to do that. As you surrendered yourself first, 